1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power
0: to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Inside Syracuse Basketball with Mike Waters. Presented by Syracuse.com. College basketball is a great thing, anything can happen. Welcome to the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast. I'm Mike Waters. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by former Syracuse basketball player Chuck Richards. I talked with Chuck about starting his career at Army, playing with Dave Bing and Jim Beheim at Syracuse, spending over 25 years in the FBI, and what it was like investigating the Ku Klux Klan.
1: Chuck, how are you, sir? Great, Mike. Uh, Doing well.
0: Well, that's good to hear. And You truly were maybe, you know, one of the first real big men in Syracuse basketball history at at six foot nine. Right.
1: Yes. uh, You know, I came as a transfer out of Army uh, West Point after two years. And uh, uh, when I played, uh, I look back on it now, I I may have played uh, maybe three or four guys bigger than me. Uh, most of the centers in that time were in that 6 6 neighborhood, 6 7. And so, you know, I was uh, a big guy back in 1962 when I rolled into Syracuse.
0: Now, you, you mentioned that you transferred from, from Army. Why, why did you originally go to West Point? What, what, were, your, uh, what were your goals?
1: Well, I went to uh, my last two years of high school. I was at the Manlius Military School. And uh, so uh, uh, we played at West Point uh, both years that I was there. And, uh, uh, you know, it was a fantastic honor to get a, an appointment there. Uh, when they started to recruit me, uh It was a a deal of 6'9", the limit in the Army was 6'6". They didn't draft, I was 4F from the Army because I was too tall. And uh, (laughs) Westmoreland was the superintendent. And uh, I had to PG a year at Manlius in order to get a waiver from the Secretary of the Army to even get in West Point. I was the first uh, person over 6'6", ever to go to a military academy. Wow. I played baseball and uh, also soccer. I was a goalie in the soccer team at Army and uh, yeah it just really they, you,
0: I didn't know that you played I didn't I never
1: heard that you played
0: soccer at Army.
1: yeah I, I on the varsity yeah my sophomore year of course freshmen couldn't play back then but my sophomore year I started at, at goalie um, for Army and uh, but I could only play. I think I played maybe seven games and then basketball season started. So I had to leave the soccer team to go to the basketball team. Uh, but, uh, you know, back then everything didn't fit. Uh, Jeeps were from World War II, they were small, tanks were small. Uh, Westmoreland used to get a laugh every time he was around me because. Uh, you know, uh, my size and uh, the uniforms uh, uh, really didn't fit that well. So uh, it it was a rugged, they only had one degree back then. And that was engineering. I think today they have an excess of 44 different degrees. And uh, otherwise economics, uh, doctor, lawyer, uh, you know, you can go that route. But Back when I was there, it was strictly engineering, you know, and you had to have integral calculus, uh, you know, to do the physics, and it was a rugged. We we went to school, uh, you know, five days, six days. We went Saturday mornings to class, and then we'd have a parade, and then there'd be a football game, you know, like in the fall. But uh, it was a challenge.
0: Now, after being at West Point for two years, you decided to transfer. You know, wh- why did you begin to look to, to transfer and why did you pick Syracuse?
1: Well, uh, to uh, uh, the academics, uh, I'm more of an economics business accounting type person. And, uh, um, you know, the engineering, I could do it, but it, it wasn't my real thing. And, you uh, uh, I had it in my mind uh, you know, that I would uh, someday have a shot playing in the NBA. And back then, there were only nine NBA teams and only one team west of the Mississippi, and that was the Lakers. And uh, so I, uh, I decided I wanted to take a shot at uh, uh, playing pro basketball and, uh, uh, and get a degree in accounting, marketing that sort of thing. So I left and back <clears throat> in that time, I had been recruited before uh, uh, going to West Point by Cornell, Colgate, uh, Norm Sloan down at the University of Florida, uh, really uh, uh, was very impressive in the recruiting bid. And then many other schools in the Northeast and, so when I got out, uh, NYU was another one and they had Barry Kramer and happy Harrison. Sure. And, happy. Uh, I was, I went down there, uh, after I left West point, uh, twice uh, to be with uh, the head coach dinner and that sort of thing. And I seriously considered it, uh, until uh, I found out that, uh, the business school was down near Greenwich Village, someplace, and I would be living way uh, up uh, uptown, uh, up on the Hudson River somewhere, and I'd have to take the subway to class every day. <laughs> and uh, I really didn't. I wanted a campus, and uh, <clears throat> so uh, it got down to Colgate and uh, Syracuse. Cornell and uh, uh, Florida. And, uh, <clears throat> uh, I got a call from my old coach at West Point, George Hunter. Um, I was going to make a decision on a Sunday. He called me on Wednesday and he said, listen, I just saw probably the best guard that I've ever seen play. And, uh, uh, he has decided uh, to go to Syracuse with Fred Lewis and uh, Fred had uh, recruited uh, Nicoletti, Dick Abelman, uh, Rex Trowbridge, uh, Sam Pencil, and uh, uh, these guys all of a sudden parade type all Americans and so forth. And uh, so I went up uh, on a Friday, I think it was, had dinner with coach Lewis and uh, I didn't meet Dave then, but, I was told about them and all this and uh, uh, we, uh, I went home and it's only 65 miles. I'm from Poland, New York and uh, uh, talked to my parents and everything and we decided, hey, they had lost 27 in a row in 61, I think it was, or 60-61 and it would be an opportunity uh, and then I (laughs) so I decided Syracuse was where I was going to go and first time I met Dave was at Dolph Shays's summer basketball camp. Oh, sure,
0: uh, I've heard about the the tales of uh, Dolph Shays's camp.
1: Yeah, Lake George, it it was just outside Lake George. And uh, Nicoletti was there, a couple of the other guys, and we got together, we would scrimmage the the Nats. All the Nats were there, Uh, uh, you know, Larry Costello, Uh, Al Bianchi those kind of guys and at night we would play for the the campers and the first night we beat him and uh, you know Dave I was on the court with Dave and it was unbelievable he he was the Michael Jordan of uh, the time and Dave had so many moves and uh, really uh, uh, I'd set a pick and 80% of the time I got the ball rolling into the basket and, uh, uh, Dave, Dave could have scored when we were at Syracuse, he could have averaged in the high thirties, uh, easy. Uh, uh, and you wouldn't even know it because he was sneaky. Uh, he'd get to the foul line. He was a good free throw shooter. And, but what he did, he, he made, uh, other players much, much better, sort of like Tom Brady. You know, I mean, if you're on the field with Tom Brady, you get excited, especially if you're an offensive guy that can catch and and run. But um, uh, we had a great week. Dave and I bonded together and, uh, uh, you know, we moved forward and we're captains at Syracuse and Dave was in my wedding and we're still very close. We get together a couple times a year and uh uh we do a september thing in hilton head and uh we've we've stayed very close
0: that's fantastic so so you were hearing about dave bing before you even got to syracuse uh from your army coach that that's amazing you know um so did you, you had to sit out one year, right? Back even back then, did you have to sit out because yeah. of a transfer?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I used to keep rebound uh, assists uh, on the bench. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <You know? laughs> yes. I had, to, I had to sit out a year. Uh, but again, uh, I got to play uh, that year. Uh, the freshmen would play the varsity and scrimmage the varsity. And so they would use me as a center and, uh, or Fred Wood. And uh, uh, so I, I got to play with him and, and watch his moves. And uh, same way with uh, Coach Bayheim. Uh, uh, Coach Bayheim was a student of the game. And playing with him, uh, he knew how to get the ball to you. Like for a big guy, uh, you know, you, you don't want it around your knees and everything. Uh, Jimmy from the beginning uh, started playing with him. Whenever he was in the game, uh, he threw the ball in to me. I would uh, uh, get it at the proper position. He would get it up high so that, you know, I could use my old hook and that sort of thing. And, uh, uh, but uh, uh, it was something uh, having come from Poland. And even though I, spent two years in prep school and uh, that's another story going to prep school at is, um, yeah. we, play, we played freshman basketball team we played colgate we played cornell we played us we go uh, rpi uh, teams like that west point sure so my se- senior year in high school i played freshman basketball i PG'd a year i played freshman basketball I went to West Point. I paid three years of freshman basketball before I got to the varsity. Uh, there's not many guys. Of course, back then, uh, uh, maybe there's some around, but there are not many guys that played three years before they could get to the varsity and all that. But, uh, you mentioned Jim Beheim.
0: Uh, you mentioned Jim Beheim and how he was on the court. I was wondering, what were your first impressions of him, though?
1: Well, you know, Jimmy has always been a student, uh, both in the classroom and on the court. And, uh, uh, you know, the, everybody tells the story of uh, the first time they saw him come out of the locker room to, when we played five-on-five five before the season started. Mm-hmm. And, but the moment that he got on the floor you knew he was a basketball player. And, uh, you know, uh, even though he was thin and, uh, uh, you know, not bulky, he's not going to be pushing people around, uh, but uh, uh, he really knew how to play basketball. And uh, uh, <laughs> Jimmy was uh, um, went to class, you know. Back in those days, there were athletes that sometimes slept a lot. And uh, uh, <laughs> Jimmy uh, went to class and, and, did, and did well academically.
0: You know, I never had uh, the chance to meet Fred Lewis. What was, mm-hmm. what was Fred, what, the coach that kind of put this all together? You mentioned him earlier. What was he like?
1: Um, coach Lewis uh, was a tremendous recruiter. Uh, he had played professionally. Uh, he came from I think Mississippi state or uh, Miss, southern Mississippi uh, up to Syracuse and um, um, he uh, uh, knew the X's and O's uh, practice and so forth um, he uh, was a little maybe on the volatile side uh, when you we get the games and, and referees he 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 uh, uh, you know like to uh uh talk to the referees during the game and uh uh but <clears throat> uh he he brought uh uh some really really good uh basketball players to Syracuse and uh turned you know the program uh around and got it going in the, in the direction and you, you know like when he left, uh, Jimmy took over. He, he had uh, Lewis Orr uh, and the uh, the big center uh, Rosie to Bowie. go to start. Yeah, to to start uh, uh, his career as the head coach. But um, you know, uh, Fred certainly was uh, was a, a good coach. You know, you're going to have uh, certain uh, problems uh, from time to time. Um, one of the things that that uh, uh, hurt us on occasion was, uh, um, you know, guys on the bench uh, who would come in, make one mistake. And I've thought about it all these years since I left, because uh, Dave and I played uh, a lot and, uh, um, I would hope uh, coach, coach Lewis, because I think Dave and I are the only two guys at Syracuse that have ever averaged over 20 points a game on the same team,
0: on the same team.
1: Yeah. On the same team. Yeah. Uh, that would have been my junior year, uh, uh, that, uh, he averaged 22 and I averaged 22. which is amazing uh, well uh, as I said really Mike um, uh, half of my points probably uh, came from Dave and because if I didn't score I got fouled and I was the last of Syracuse underhand free throw shooters
0: oh yeah we have to get uh, to this yes you're right
1: I, I shot I shot underhand free throws and uh and and it was uh, uh very helpful you know today so many of uh, uh the athletes uh, i've coached aau type basketball for 33 years and um, uh the young players they don't want to practice uh, you know at the free throw line and uh, you look at the nba and uh, there are players in the nba that uh you know are making a lot of money and uh, maybe could make a little bit more if they would spend a little bit of time you know at the free throw line i so, agree uh on that where side, did but, you
0: learn that underhand shot the the, the between the legs uh, uh, most folks will associate it with with rick Barry, if they re, if they recall
1: well, you know yeah. rick and i were the same age and uh uh <clears throat> you know I, I started shooting underhand free throws, uh, maybe in eighth grade. Uh, okay. what, whether it was, uh, you know, I couldn't uh, make it uh, shooting a jump shot or a one-handed free throw or two, had like Larry Costello, a two-handed free throw or Dolph Shays, and and I was very successful. And uh, the idea back then was and Rick Barry has explained it before, if you shoot an underhand free throw, uh, the arc is much smaller so that if the ball hits the rim, it's not going to ricochet uh, a great distance from the rim. So you have a better chance offensively of grabbing it and putting it back in. Uh, sure. Uh, you look at a guy like, uh, say, Shaq, when he shot, or wilt with a one hand. Uh, it's no different than the three point shot. If it hits the rim, it may bound, you know, way away from the basket. And uh, so that was uh, the philosophy back then. All right, we got. I got to fill in a few gaps here for
0: for folks who don't know how successful this six foot nine center Chuck Richards was back in the '60s with his underhand shot. You made I, I believe roughly 78-79% of your free throws, which is a really yeah, good percentage. Yeah,
1: that's, that's that's correct.
0: All right, and I got one more. You made 17 free throws in a game against Pittsburgh. I
1: right. think it
0: was might have been your your junior year, your first year at junior, SU. Ju- yes. That's a record that stood for over 35 years. It wasn't until yeah. Alan Griffin made 18. In I think 2000 or 2001 that that record got broken, but that, and that 18 is still the record. You're one off the record to this day.
1: Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, I, back then with that night, um, I missed, um, maybe six, uh, and I've kicked myself. I, uh, it was a rough game, uh, pushing and shoving.
0: Must and, have been. And,
1: and uh, uh, I, I think I ended up with like 35 points or something like that but I, I got a little tired down the stretch and I uh, I always prided myself on not missing two in a row Okay. and I think I missed two in a row uh, you know towards the end of the game and I've thought about that for 60 years
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> I
1: thought I was bringing yeah. up
0: a good memory not a bad one uh,
1: Oh well, pride. You you know, uh, I had a lot of pride in my uh, free throw shooting.
0: You know that that junior year at Syracuse, uh, you guys went seventeen and eight. And to a lot of folks, seventeen and eight might sound good, but not great. But as you mentioned before, before you guys got there, you know Syracuse had lost something like twenty seven in a row. The program was really bad. You guys go seventeen and eight, and you made it to the NIT. Right. Back then, that was an incredible year. I mean, that was highly successful season.
1: Well, yeah, the, the NIT people today, uh, you know, they, they sort of look maybe down at it, and uh, the teams that don't get in the NCAA 64 or whatever. Uh, right. Back then, 14 teams went to the NCAA and 14 went to the NIT. And the reason that we chose to go to the NIT was it was Madison Square Garden, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the public uh, the media capital of the world uh, for sports and basketball. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, there, that was great teams. And we we played Barry Kramer and Happy Harrison who uh, within uh, NYU and and Barry and I had been, in, in 1963, uh, we we were together in the summer up at a, another camp near Lake George. Uh, and we had a 150 boys and 150 girls. And we were in charge of the basketball side of it. And Barry and I became very close and still oh, wow. are. And uh, uh, so uh, that game uh, was a big game. Uh uh, and for me, uh, you know, that was the first time playing in Madison Square Garden in the old garden, 8th Avenue, I think it was, and it sit, sat 19,000. And I'll never forget coming out of the locker room and looking up and there was smoke, you know, people smoked back then. And uh, uh, there was a, a restaurants or bars up there, guys were drinking beer and leaning over, Uh, this uh, third deck and everything else and there was smoke up there and um, (laughs) uh, the thing about the the court too we got out on the court and as you dribbled there were dead spots because the ice you know the court was over ice so you had to be careful get a rebound and start dribbling down the court and uh, uh, because you'd have one dribble come high and the next dribble right around your knees and they had the old backboards. Uh, I think the backboards go back uh, to um, uh, like 1939 or something. It was partial wood and glass. Oh and, my god! And it had a loose rim. There were no breakaway rims, and if you could get the ball up around the rim, it was going in. And <laughs> so, it was uh, interesting. It was fun. It's my kind of rim. Yes.
0: Now, um, so you got to play your two years at Syracuse. Did you get a chance to play pro ball? Because that was one of the reasons you left West Point.
1: Right, right. Uh, I was uh, uh, drafted uh, by uh, the Hawks, St. Louis. They were the St. Louis Hawks then before they went to Atlanta. And um, in those days, uh, I've got the letter up in my office, on the wall and it said, uh, we want you to come to the June uh, uh, get together that we're gonna have. We've invited uh, some of the uh, players under contract and uh, rookies uh, for uh, a week. And uh, uh, we want you to be here on such and such a date. And uh, as far as travel is concerned, uh, if you drive, uh, we will reimburse you 10 cents a mile. And if you fly, uh, pay for it and we will reimburse you once you get here. There was no flying you out, a uh, private jet coming to get you. Of course, back then, you know, <laughs> jets were just coming in and everything else. And <laughs> so, I had graduated with a business and accounting degree and my dad was a small Chevrolet dealer so I went back to work with him to see what was going to happen and uh, then I got an offer to go to uh, Italy Italy was just getting started and uh, they had a guarantee and uh, but uh, uh, the agent uh, that was arranging uh, it from, it was from Philadelphia. He said, now, remember, Chuck, uh, you may go a month and not get paid because they're just getting started and everything. And they tell you that they'll make up the money, blah, blah, blah. Well, the minimum salary in the NBA then was $6,500. Dollars and and uh, rookies were uh, Dave's contract um, as a number one draft pick uh, was around sixteen grand in nineteen sixty six. Right, and, uh, I was making more money selling cars and <laughs> uh, uh, driving a Corvette, and uh, and and my dad you know was hoping that I would uh, uh, you know take over the business. my blah. And so I decided, well, no, no I'm not going to take a shot at that. And, uh, uh, but a, a year later, uh, Baltimore called me. I, I played uh, with uh, uh, Wheatican Motors uh, out of, uh, with Barry Kramer out of uh, uh, Albany Schenectady. And okay. we, we played Eastern League teams and all star teams. Uh, we played. Uh, all of the Tony Jackson, uh, some of the old time guys, uh, the Harlem wizards uh, had a team, which was like the Harlem Globetrotters and all that stuff. And so I, Baltimore called me and um, to come down. And uh, uh, I went down there. I had an application into the FBI uh, at the time, I had uh, befriended a guy and taken the test, and but it had been a year and a half and hadn't heard anything, and uh, so I went down to Baltimore, and when I got down to Baltimore, they had 26 guys, uh, <clears throat> you know, for the a week, a- and we were housed in a Howard Johnson's motel, four guys to a room. And- <laughs> four guys to a room and now the, the, the these were double beds. These were not king size beds, queens. So it ended up, you know, sleeping on the floor. And uh, the next day, uh, you know, they cut a bunch of people and uh, I got a bed. And uh, so that, uh, you know, I realized right away uh, that uh, uh, this really was uh, not, Gonna happen, and I got accepted, Mr. Hoover, uh, Jay Edgar. Uh, uh, while I was down there, I, when I got back home, I got the call that uh, they wanted me to report. That this was in June. They wanted me to report to the FBI in um, in July. And so, I decided to get out of the Chevrolet business, and uh, uh, you know. Uh, <clears throat> move on into, uh, as my wife said, uh, it's time to get a real job, Chuck Richards, <laughs> instead of fooling around trying to play basketball.
0: Well, your lovely wife, Carol is a wise woman, very smart. So, yes. and you two, you two met at SU, right?
1: Yes, we did. Uh, we met at SU, uh, she was, uh, president of Alpha Phi and, uh, She had never really seen a basketball game Uh, in high school. She went to football, but basketball didn't do anything for her. And so I asked her if she'd like to go to a ball game, and she did come. And she sat with the parents and everybody else, but she brought a couple of books. I looked over uh, when I was shooting a free throw, and she was reading War and Peace. (laughs) And, And that was... Pretty much, uh, you know, she she hadn't really, not a lot, she didn't know uh, a foul shot from a pick and roll, you know? And so, uh, and maybe that's why we've been married 55 years. You know, She's smart. I,
0: I, I'm gonna show up at the next Syracuse basketball game with a copy of War and Peace and, and
1: <laughs> see what Jim Beheim says. <laughs> Well, you you know, uh, I have a a lot of respect for Coach Beheim, and uh, he has. uh, I don't think there will. You never say never, but uh, to have uh, a person play basketball at a school and end up, uh, uh, you know, getting a master's and uh, then take uh, be an assistant coach and take over head coach and stay there his whole career because you know there's all sorts of money out there uh you know for guys like coach Beheim. and uh he uh, dedicated himself to syracuse and uh, uh he's happy there he got a fantastic family and uh he's got a couple of really good guys that uh, i think are gonna really helped Syracuse and his daughter, you know, she was a very good basketball player.
0: Jamie was. Um, I, I kind of, I let drop here an opportunity for a follow-up question uh, a second ago. You mentioned that you went into the FBI. Yes. You ended up, that became your lifelong career. You, you spent over 25, 27 years in the FBI. Um, 20,
1: 28 years in the FBI. Yeah.
0: What did you it, I don't know what you're allowed to tell us. (laughs) What did you do for the FBI?
1: You know, uh, having gone to West Point, uh, the basketball player that went in with me, a guy by the name of Chuck Hutchison, was the first guy killed uh, out of my class of 1964. And um, he and I were very close. And um, his dad was a sheriff down near uh, Uh, Pittsburgh, uh, in in Katanning. And, uh, uh, you know, the Vietnam War was going on. And uh, I had always, uh, in the back of my mind, you know, had, did I make the right decision to leave uh, West Point? Because, you know, when you go there, uh, uh, there's uh, camaraderie, and when you're in the military, you go through airborne ranger training together and, uh, you know, you, you cover a man's back. And, and I had always had an interest in law enforcement. And when the opportunity came, I never thought that I would get in, you know, big tests and interviews and all this stuff. And then <laughs> I, I have a, 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 another uh, deal where, I was the biggest guy that the FBI had ever hired. Hoover made me take two physicals and uh, monitored uh, me through 16 weeks of training. You know, my, my firearm scores, my physical, my academic scores. And, uh, but for me, um, I never once not wanted to go to work. Uh, I had the opportunity in the Bureau to work Uh, I I chose to work on the street instead of promotion, uh, Washington, uh, New York City, those kind of places. I enjoyed uh, putting, you know, criminals in jail and uh, uh, doing investigations. And I worked everything from outlaw motorcycle gangs to the Klan to uh, uh, bank robbery, kidnapping, extortion. I was a street FBI agent and SWAT team. Firearms instructor, and uh, that was my bag uh, from the, the military, and it, it moved over, you know, when I went to the FBI, and uh, it was uh, it was uh, 28 super years as far as I was concerned.
0: What's it like investigating the Klan?
1: Well, you know, the Klan was still around. Uh, when I came to the North Carolina in 1960, let's see, December of 69 is when uh, I was transferred here. And um, uh, I had four counties that I covered uh, and I covered all the violations. And uh, they were rural counties and there would be things like burning crosses in, uh, uh, the yards of, of, um, African-Americans with their home, you know, there were situations like that. There were, there were actual, uh, meetings, uh, you know, that they had, uh, uh, clan meetings where they'd have them on the weekend and, uh, the, you know, they would have 200 people show up and, uh, you know, make all sorts of noise and, and everything and, uh, you know, it's uh, something that uh, the investigations, we were able to uh, prosecute uh, people that, uh, uh, you know, were burning crosses and and doing damage uh, to businesses uh, that were owned by African Americans. And uh, uh, so it it was a challenge. And fortunately, uh, in today's time, uh, uh, I'm sure because I've been retired, I'm sure there's uh, some activity in that area still. But um, uh, the, the people uh, many times didn't like uh, the African-American was a better worker and they uh, lost their job because uh, uh, an African-American was a better worker. And so then, you know, they would join the Klan and all that stuff. Wow.
0: And firearms instructor, SWAT?
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Firearms. Well, training, that's something that people, uh, like in, in New York State, uh, I would say probably the FBI is the main training arm for local law enforcement in New York State. Uh, what happens is if you live in rural Uh, areas in New York State, the police don't have the money to send the policemen to uh, special schools that you need to go to today on terrorism and things like that. And uh, uh, FBI agents get trained in certain areas. So I would be assigned to a sheriff's department to hold uh, a shoot and, and teach them uh, the proper way to handle a weapon how to clean it and, and do all this stuff because there were some areas where uh, there were some individuals that had, had no uh, training on how to properly handle weapons and so forth like that and then uh, uh, arresting people how to get people out of cars if you're arresting somebody out of houses if you have to uh, you know, you've got somebody barricading the house. Uh, what are you going to do? And so <clears throat> um, I would get assigned to uh, uh, various instructions uh, during the calendar year. And uh, I spent uh, the last uh, 10 years or so, I was in charge of all uh, media relations and uh, with newspapers, TV, uh, radio, and the boss uh, would, uh, you know, there would be inquiries about uh, him uh, being interviewed or she being interviewed uh, in Raleigh or something. And I would arrange for the interviews and so forth like that. And then I dealt with 60 minutes. You know, there were uh, cases uh, that were Uh, very important, and uh, so I dealt with national TV people, and uh, uh, then human resources, recruiting. Uh, uh, The last few years, I did uh, a lot of uh, recruiting at Fort Bragg, Camp Lejeune, SEAL Team, Delta Force, those kind of people, and uh, the law schools in North Carolina. Chapel Hill, Duke, wow. Campbell, and my career, you know, I, uh, I, if, I could go back if I was a little bit younger and uh, so forth and pick it up again. And uh, uh, I got a lot of personal satisfaction out of working a case and then getting a person or persons indicted, then arrest them, take them to trial, and then convict them. A lot of people don't realize that over 90% of FBI cases are plea bargains. They don't even go to trial because we've done such a good job investigating that the defense attorney looks and says, "Eh, you know, wait a minute, you don't want to go away for 50 years, maybe 10. And uh, so uh, that... Doesn't get publicized. Uh, uh, the bureau has uh, taken some hits over the last uh, couple of years and everything with some of the administrative uh, details. But that's why I like to stay out in the streets. You know, uh, sort of like uh, uh, out in the, the countryside. It's uh, better to be there than politics.
0: I hear you. I got it. Um... Well, it, this has just been a fascinating conversation. Um, you're really, a, you're a fascinating person. I appreciate your time. I knew I was going to enjoy this podcast as much as any others I've had. And I tell you what, if if things don't work out with the centers on this year's team, I mean, it, it looks like Jim could count on you for a few minutes uh, here and there, maybe a few rebounds.
1: Well, I got to, I, I'd have to get in shape. Uh, Uh, I did, uh, I I became a runner after, uh, uh, along with my uh, basketball, I played uh, seniors Olympics uh, here in North Carolina. We won the national championship cup one time, one time, came in second twice, and, uh, but I ran the New York marathon, and uh, so. uh, uh, Like the tallest ever to do that. Uh, at the time, I don't know if there's anybody uh, that uh, has run it since that's uh, six nine. And uh, uh, but uh, you know, it's the kind of situation that uh, uh, I, I would need to get in shape a little bit to give him at least five minutes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I, I can't give him. I can't give him twenty or thirty now. Okay. Five minutes, a
0: couple fouls, and a rebound or two.
1: Yes. (laughs) To get the free throw line and and a couple underhand free throws.
0: A couple underhand free throws that are money.
1: That that would bring the the dome would uh, go crazy, uh, you know, with the underhand free throws, I'm sure.
0: (laughs) You would be a fan favorite today, I am sure. So, uh, Chuck, listen, thank you so much for joining us here. It's been an absolute pleasure.
1: Well, Mike, uh, I appreciate uh, you uh, giving me a call. And uh, uh, Syracuse uh, meant a lot to both Carol and I. Uh, great university, academics, and uh, uh, Jim, Coach Beheim uh, runs a, a, a terrific program. And uh, Looking forward to seeing his son's play this year.
0: All right. Well, I am too. We'll get that season started soon. Chuck, again, thank you very much.
1: Okay. Thank you.
0: I want to thank Chuck for joining me on the podcast today. And thanks to you out there as well for listening in. Please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast and follow all of our complete coverage of Syracuse basketball on Syracuse.com. Until next time on the Inside Syracuse Basketball Podcast, I'm Mike Waters.